Welcome to the Why on Earth Communities Stewardship and Sustainability Podcast Series. Today we have visiting with us Brad Lidge. Hi Brad. Aaron, how's it going? Great. Excellent. How are you doing today? Doing fantastic. Just another uh, great spring day here in Colorado. So Beautiful. Always appreciate them, yep. Absolutely. For our audience members who don't know Brad, Brad uh, Lidge has a very interesting background and perspective that he's going to be sharing with us today. He uh, did part of his studies in religious studies at Notre Dame and then finished his undergraduate degree, his bachelor's degree at University of Regis in Denver. He then went on to do a master's in archaeology and ancient history at the University of Leicester in England. Brad has expertise in Roman archaeology and European history in general and has a very interesting perspective when it comes to talking about issues of stewardship and sustainability. However, some of our audience may know Brad for his ability to throw a baseball. <laughs> and uh, he, of course, played professional baseball with the Houston Astros and the Philadelphia Phillies. And with the uh, nickname Lights Out Lidge, Brad threw the winning pitch in the 2008 World Series with the Phillies. And uh, that was a, a great moment of joy and victory and accomplishment. And Brad, with, with that background, which is so interesting and so diverse, I uh, want to just thank you for joining us on the show today. And I'm really looking forward to hearing your perspective on these topics of stewardship and sustainability. Um, so I will dive right in and ask you, we'll, we'll get back to baseball a little later, All right. but I'll ask you, from your perspective right now, what is the most important set of issues for us to be thinking about and acting on when it comes to stewardship and sustainability? Well, I mean, it's, there's a lot of stuff, right? I mean, there's a, boy, when I think about the, um, you know, the world as it is today and, and, and politics and all the other things that we try and wrap our brains around, um, it, it becomes just, in my opinion, more and more uh, vital for us to figure out and to have a game plan uh, of what we want to do and what we want to accomplish. Um, you know, there are certainly a lot of different venues and, and avenues that we can go down to help support uh, sustainability. Obviously, I'm very proud to be a part of Why on Earth. And, uh, you know, I, I really... I'm, I'm very proud of it because I believe in, in, in the things that, that you have done and the steps that we're taking uh, to be able to deliver that sustainability. Um, but I think for myself, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. From my background, um, coming out of baseball and being retired, there was uh, a lot of different things I could attach myself to in terms of, of, you know, maybe some charities that I wanted to be with, things that were important to me. And I think that, you know, for myself, um, you know, I've got two kids, uh, Avery and Rowan. They're amazing. Uh, Avery's 14 now, Rowan's 10. Uh, I can't believe how fast time has gone since I have retired. Um, it seems like, uh, you know, I just retired, but it's already been five years. So um, it, it's given me a lot of opportunity and a chance to think about the things that are important to me. And, uh, you know, we all, like I said, we all have the um, opportunities to be able to help out in different directions that we want to. Uh, but certainly for me, being able to to pass on something to my kids that I'm super proud of, that they can see every single day in their lives, uh, sustainability, uh, helping our planet in, in any possible way that we can. I mean, that's one of the things that I'm most proud of. So 
Um, for me, it was kind of a no-brainer to try and figure out how I could do that. I mean, there's other things, of course, that are important to us as a family, but this is something that we live with every single day. Um, you know, we've been able to, to get some land and we're, we're starting to, uh, my wife's doing a flower, my wife, Lindsay, uh, is doing yeah. a, a flower farm. Yeah, um, awesome. and, uh, we're really excited about that. We've got that up and running this year, Reverie Fields, if anyone's looking, uh, for flowers, but, uh, you What's know, the be, website, is there a website for Reverie Fields, um, dot, Dot com. I, I think we need to, uh, I think I need to probably go back and look at that. Okay, no problem. Yeah, Reverie so, Fields. We'll get that in the show notes for everybody. Yeah, yeah, sorry about that. We just decided on the name not long ago and, and the the website, the Dominion, everything else. There's a whole lot that goes into this that I wasn't really, um, that I didn't know about. So yeah. it's it's been an interesting yeah. learning process for us and it's been uh, very exciting as well. But Anyway, so Reverie Fields it is, and uh, so beyond that though, uh, you know, we've, we've got some land and we're just trying to do, I think, our part in trying to, um, you know, find things that we can do to make this, uh, our lot at least, more sustainable. I mean, you know, we're trying to, you know, garden as much as we can and, and eat from that garden. Um, we're fortunate to have some fruit trees. We, we just try and do uh, a little bit um, every single day to... Uh, to feel good about uh, about accomplishing our goals. Yeah, well, to me, it's it's so amazing the the game plan that that you and Lindsay have put together. Obviously, after a, a successful career in baseball, you could really be doing just about anything you you want to at this point. And to make the the land stewardship, the growing of flowers to sh- get and share with others in the community, to make that one of the priorities, I think it's really telling and. Uh, to me, a, a beautiful example of how you and Lindsay are a, a power couple in the sense of stewardship and sustainability power with her background in herbal medicine and holistic nutrition uh, and all the things that you're involved in. I mean, it, it's just beautiful what you guys are doing in the community. Well, thanks. I, you know, I, I definitely, as I said, I'm real proud to, uh, to be able to, you know, help her out and to be able to kind of do my part um, you know, w- with all of this and, you know, again, it's, uh, I think for me, you know, w- when your kids are young, they're kind of paying attention to some of the things they're doing. A lot of times they're not right. A lot of times, a lot of things you're saying is going in one ear and out the other, but you know, I mean, we are at some point going to turn our planet over to them and they're going to turn it over to their kids and so on and so forth. And I think that, you know, for me knowing that, that I've done my part, you know, when my, when my time comes to be able to pass on what I believe in and what I think is, um, you know, important, but also vital for, for, uh, for our planet to be able to pass that on and, and, and what I've done to my kids, you know, again, that's something I'm very proud of. And, um, and I really enjoy doing it too. It's, I mean, it's one of those deals where, you know, it, I, 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 lo- I know more about, you know, farming and, and sustainable practices than I ever thought I would when I first mm-hmm. retired. But the more and more I get into it, the more I realize how big the picture is, yeah. um, and, and how much more I could be doing. So, you know, it's uh, it, it's one of those deals where I think you just have to keep striving to do more and, and, and to push yourself to do more. Absolutely. Well, I'm I'm so thrilled to know that not only and and this is you know in full disclosure, not only are you on the board of directors of the Why on Earth community, you're also on the board of another great nonprofit called Project Cure, and in this way, uh, doing a lot of work for folks all around the world who mm-hmm. otherwise wouldn't have access to the resources that you all at Project Cure are helping them with. And I was hoping you could just uh, share a little with the audience about Project Cure and, and what you guys are doing there. Yeah, thank you. I mean, another, I uh, appreciate you bringing that up. Another thing that uh, I've been very proud of, and uh, I actually jumped on the board at, uh, at Project Cure 
uh, in 2009, and uh, I've been able to work with them. And um, obviously, I was still playing baseball at that point. But but being able to, uh, you know, it's it's there's a lot of different ways you can um, you can help get uh, you know sources to be able to help out uh, different different charities. And, and my part was to try and get uh, some some funds from uh, the offices at MLB, the Players Union. Um, actually, is it has this kind of resource of 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 finances and, and because they work with uh, countries like the Dominican, um, you know, we're able to go over there and, and essentially Project Cures MO, they, they take medical equipment uh, in our country that's not being used, <coughs> excuse me, it's actually just sitting in warehouses hmm. and you know, it, it's amazing. I mean, you, you'll get a pair of, uh, uh, of forceps that have an expiration date on them, right? And it's hmm. like, you know, they never get out of the package and then Couple years go by, and all of a sudden they're expired. Hmm. And instead of you know being able to use this medical equipment, uh, you can't use expired medical equipment in that you know in that profession. It's a big no-no. So it goes to a warehouse, and it gets uh, you know it gets stored there for a while, and you have to pay fees associated with storing medical equipment uh, for some of these hospitals, or you hmm. have to pay fees to dispose of it. Yeah. Um, and and what a waste, right? I mean that's so crazy, but. Project Cure, we've been able to to take this medical equipment and and deliver it uh, to third world countries that are in need, mm-hmm. uh, shipping over containers and uh, um, you know it's it's been a really cool thing to see how impactful it's been in a lot of countries. I mean, obviously, um, you know Haiti had its time where it was in dire straits, and we were able yeah. to do a lot. Obviously, Haiti being connected to the Dominican Republic, so um, you know it's something that that I've been real proud of being a part of and. Um, I have been on the board there for a while now, and it's uh, it's a it's a pretty uh, pretty impressive uh, infrastructure um, right here in Colorado, down in South Denver, mm. and uh, it's it's been a blast to be a part of. Doug Jackson, the president there, does a great job. Mm. That's absolutely wonderful. Well, and of course, with uh, the Why on Earth community, we have coming up quite soon a really big three day summit. Yeah. That uh, you're a part of. You're you're one of the uh, VIP speakers at that event. And I'm, I'm so thrilled knowing who's going to be there, that you'll be there, and some of our other friends and colleagues, and also who's going to be in attendance. Uh, it, it's right. just it's going to be a tremendous experience for all of us, and a, and a great networking opportunity, a great way to continue cultivating relationships with all kinds of folks doing really important work here in Colorado and all around the country. And uh, just so thrilled, Brad, that uh, that you're going to be there, and I'm wondering if you might... Give us a little foreshadow, a little hint as to what you'll be uh, talking about. Well, I, yeah, I think um, you know there's there's a few things that uh, uh, that I'm pretty passionate about when it comes down to it. Um, of course, in the realm of sustainability, and uh, you know, I, I think there are certain ways that we can uh, apply ourselves and our and our talents to be, um, I guess, leaders in the field. I mean, yeah. for me, like I don't have a background in this stuff, but mm-hmm. I know that I can still do things. Uh, that are out of my comfort zone because a lot of times that's what it takes to be a leader. I really feel like, you know, it, it's easy to stay within the parameters of what you know, um, and that's great. And some people they know sustainability and it's amazing, um, and that's their path. But for me, that wasn't my path until more recently, um, and I learned I have to get out of my comfort zone and push myself a little bit toward it. But when I do that, the rewards have been incredible. So, um, you know, I'll be kind of dancing around, I guess, a little bit and bouncing around on different leadership topics, uh, different things that, that I have heard over the years um, that, you know, at the time, okay, this applies to baseball, but, but um, there's a lot of things that apply to life in general. And, you know, maybe baseball players aren't always uh, seen in the light of the most um, intellectual people out there. However, there is a certain wisdom that's passed down through generations of 
uh, of a game that's been played since the mid 1800s yeah. uh, here in America. So there's a lot of knowledge and wisdom that's passed down from uh, the generations before us. Baseball's crazy. It's not like the other sports, right? I mean, it's 162 games in 180 days. Yeah. So you have to learn about the rhythm of the seasons, when to get yourself, you know, physically more prepared. Other times you need to give yourself a break. Um, it's it's kind of like a year-long cycle. So you really start to get in touch with uh, um, with Mother Nature more than you'd think because, you know, you, you play in spring training, maybe you're in a warm spot, and then you go somewhere where it's cold, and then there's the summer, and then it's cold at the end of the year if you're mm. lucky enough to continue playing in the, in the fall. So um, there's a lot of wisdom, I think, collective wisdom within baseball, and I look forward to sharing some of the um, some of the more outstanding quotes and uh, lessons I've learned through that. But again, a lot of this can be taken and, and in the light of sustainability applied in that direction. Um, so it'll be, uh, it'll be really fun. I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a great time. Absolutely wonderful. And, and uh, just as a reminder, the name of the summit is Massively Mobilizing Sustainability, Deep Leadership for the 21st Century. And we're weaving together some of the, the, the strategies and the opportunities, the knowledge and the realm of sustainability, regeneration, stewardship, we're weaving that together with uh, cultivating our skills as leaders so that we can have as much positive impact as possible, regardless of our backgrounds, our, our stations and so forth. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so excited. And Brad, of course, we've talked over the years about some of the uh, more interesting nuances of baseball. And yeah. some of the connections with with the natural living world, you know, it's a it's a sport played on soil and turf. It's a sport played with wooden bats grown in real live trees. That's right. And yeah. uh, and there's also a really important connection with the uh, a very special type of uh, soil or dirt. And uh, wondering if you might share that a little bit with our audience too. Yeah, um, it's actually pretty fascinating. You know, a lot of times. Uh, People that are familiar with baseball will know that baseballs have to be rubbed up with a certain kind of uh, mud or dirt before they're allowed to be put into the game. So you get these, you know, new baseballs from Rawlings, and uh, these these shiny baseballs don't just go right out into the game. Um, they have to be rubbed up with and, and given a certain tack. Um, they do this so that that the balls don't squirt and slip right out of the pitcher's hand and end up being almost a projectile weapon coming in at the hitter. Right, the hitter is yeah. actually happy. That these balls are rubbed up a little bit hmm. um, but this mud comes from the the uh, delaware river and uh, there's a certain area where they get this mud from and it can only be from that area and uh, they put it in these little containers and they ship it to the clubhouses uh, collectively around america and, and where the baseball stadiums are the baseballs are rubbed up there's a designated guy that rubs up the baseballs with this mud hmm. that knows exactly how to do it and uh, you know it's it's a pretty amazing process, but when you get it in your hand, uh, you can tell you know it's got that that tack and that feel. Um, but it is fascinating, Aaron, because you know for me there's this connection to soil that I never thought about. But a baseball still to this day, if I pick up a new baseball, it doesn't feel right. It needs to have that that mud on it. Um, and you know we of course we talk about uh, soil all the time with why on earth the sustainability factors and everything else that go with it. Um, but interestingly, and, and you know it's it's for me, getting out of baseball, the the and I know we'll get to this at some point, but the transition into archaeology, right. where I where I'm taking a trowel and I'm digging in the mud, there's something about dirt and soil that I keep coming back to. Yep. And uh, baseball absolutely is a game. You know, I mentioned the, the cyclical part of it, the the seasons and kind of going through a very long year. 
Uh, but there is something about baseball that is a reminder of how America used to be uh, a long time ago. It, it's the only sport that's not played with a clock. I mean, you play you know, nine innings. If that takes you an hour and a half or it takes you four and a half hours, you play nine innings. So you have to have a certain level of, of patience going to a baseball game. And you have to have a certain level, I think, of, of relaxation as a fan. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's different than other sports that way. Um, we are in a, a world right now that is constantly trying to rush more and more, have more and more action in sports. Yeah. You know, football, basketball, they can change their rules at the drop of a hat, but baseball holds on to uh, itself being, you know, our nation's pastime and, and uh, all these records that happened in the early 1900s, say, and we the game hasn't changed. So you can still compare era to era. Mm -hmm. Anyway, there's all these different things yeah. about I could go on forever, right? But this is why baseball for me is, is, is such an incredible game because it's not measured with extreme rate, extreme pace, 21st century offense, and just, you know, mm -hmm. uh, super short attention spans. Baseball still requires a little bit more of you as a fan to be mm -hmm. patient and appreciate the little things of the game. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm thinking that, uh, my experience going to a baseball game really is a, a calming effect as opposed to going to a football game where it's like fight or flight, those those stress hormones, that's what it's all about. I think that's yeah. why it's such a rush for a lot of uh, folks to watch football. But with baseball, we're, we're calming our nerves. And I, I know you've shared with me that as a pitcher, one of the skills you've developed in a huge way is, is with your breathing. That's right. And, and we know more and more executives, more and more entrepreneurs, more and more educators are bringing breathing practices into their businesses, into their schools. We'll be doing some breathing exercises actually at the summit. And uh, this is such an important tool for us as leaders and, and for us as we're going about our day-to-day -day lives to make sure we stay calm and are able to focus and accomplish what's at hand. And uh, Boy, I, I know this is a big part when you're on the mound and under pressure, right? What Describe yeah. to us what, what that experience is like. Uh, it, it's pretty intense. Uh, you, you know, my, my role um, in baseball, I was a pitcher, and uh, beyond that, I was coming in to close games. So, yeah. uh, you know, we always say people are watching the first couple, in, uh, first couple innings. They start to lose interest in the middle of the game, but then all of a sudden when the game's on the line, everyone's attention and focus come back in. And as a closer, your team's winning. You're expected to go out there and keep the lead. You know, that's if you don't, it's literally called a blown save. So, um, you know, you get the, you keep the lead, you get the save. If you don't, you blow the save. So, there's a ton of adrenaline that builds up. You know, I say as a mm. fan, you have to be patient and just kind of enjoy the game. Uh, when you're actually in the game, it's a little more difficult to do. But mm. you know, my my rookie season, I mean, I was getting out to the mound and running out there. And uh, one, one of my good friends noticed, he's like, man, he's like, even after you run out to the mound, you're breathing so fast before you make these pitches. And I, you know, I was kind of everywhere. I was throwing it hard, but I was missing my location. And, and I was just, I wasn't able to calm myself down. So we worked with a guy that, that um, uh, was able to kind of show me some different breathing techniques to really slow your heart rate down. And you're right. I mean, this can be applied in so many different things when we ever get our nervous system up or adrenaline gets up. Mm -hmm. Breathing is essential, and I, and I figured out, you know, it took me a little bit to kind of understand how to do it, uh, but I figured out, you know, when I was able to start breathing, uh, that I was going to get a lot better results. Mm. So I was able to kind of adapt that practice out on the mound, and, and it was huge for me in my career to really kind of be able to, to slow my heart rate and, and to just take some deep breaths because, uh, you know, the adrenaline is very intense, and your mind's going, you know, a million miles an hour. Uh, you have to figure out a way to do that. Otherwise, you're just not going to probably stick around in the game that long. 
Yeah, and I've heard you say that you you can tell now as as a, an advisor to young pitchers when yeah. their adrenaline's too high, they're throwing wild, and and you recommend to do some deep breathing. Is that it's that it's that straightforward? Uh, it is. Well, what's funny is you know my son's ten years old and he's playing, yeah. and he's just dabbling into pitching for the first time. So I'm working with ten year olds and I'm working with uh, minor league guys for the Philadelphia Phillies, and last year the major league guys for the Philadelphia Phillies, and it's all the same. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you're ten years old or twenty five years old. Your tendency, when that adrenaline gets up, when that nervous system gets up, is to, your heart rate goes up. Yeah. And so you start breathing faster and faster, and you don't have uh, as great a control of your, of your faculties, as, of your muscles, as you do when you can slow that heart rate down and start breathing. I mean, you know, many, many people before me, obviously, have been able to pass that on through many different walks of life. Yeah. But, you know, in baseball, it really is something that a lot of guys... They've been able to use that adrenaline their whole life and not have to worry about it. But the major leagues is a little bit different. If you're if you're slightly off, it's a it's a very big um, it can be a very big miss. Yeah. So you know guys have to do that. And we do. We, I talk about it with them all the time. Uh, stepping off the mound, taking a lap around the mound, rub up the baseball, kind of feel it in your hands, take some deep breaths, and then get back on the mound and slow that heart rate down. And the results uh, typically are a lot better. That's so cool. Well, I I will. Uh share with you and in front of our audience that many times in the past year, I've thought of you talking specifically about this breathing before, say, giving a talk at a university or even today, uh, uh, earlier around town, I saw a few emails coming through on some of the logistics related to our summit. And, Mm -hmm. you know, of course, a lot of planning goes into an event like that. And I, I felt my heart rate going up. I started (laughs) to feel a little stress. and, And then I was like, oh, wait a minute, just breathe. And just remember, like, you know, all that will work itself out, no problem, and not to let that stress impulse take over. And I think especially now with social media, with all of our communication abilities, one of the biggest tasks for each of us is that steward, that self-stewardship when it comes to stress and different responses and, and being able to go to that that breathing and techniques like that. So uh, I'm just right. sharing that I literally earlier today yes. thought of that and thought of you. So thank uh, you okay. for sharing. Yeah, well, good, because I need to t- remember, uh, remember it myself a lot of times. You're right, social media, I mean, you know, as many email pings and text pings as we get, we got to be here, here, there. And it's easy to get that uh, those feelings of anxiety and those stress levels up and, and forget to just, just take some deep breaths. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad that I'm glad, I'm glad that worked out. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and we'll be sharing this with others too at the summit. Well, you know, one of the other techniques and strategies around cultivating some of these things at the personal level that is so important is around food and nutrition. And I know you were sharing with me recently that among professional athletics, uh, different ball teams and so on, you're seeing some really interesting changes when it comes to what the... Uh, what the athletes are actually being fed, the, the food that's being provided. Yeah, it's crazy the, the evolution of, of understanding performance, um, you know, in, in the realm of athletics. Because, you know, even a decade ago, um, things were much different than they were 20 years ago. But, but now things are completely different than they were 10 years ago. Mm. Um, and, and what's ended up happening is, you know, with more and more scientific studies, the food in the clubhouses, you know, across the major leagues, and I know this also applies to the NFL and NBA and all major sports. Um, the the food has shifted from snacky food and and sugary food that that, that stuff's out of the clubhouses now. Now every team has 
uh, you know, nutritionists, uh, uh, you know, people that go in, personal chefs, people that are preparing meals for guys based on uh, their workout regimens and, and, and what they need to do to be able to perform at optimal levels. Mm. So now you've got all these anti-inflammatory, you know, smoothies and shakes in the clubhouses mm. and um, th these fantastic meals that are sustainably sourced a lot of times because mm -hmm. let's be honest i mean when something is sustainably sourced there's a there's a chance or a lot better chance um that that animal is going to be um taken care of better in its life yeah. uh it will be a healthier animal and it will have it will be a better source of protein for the athlete so yeah. people are starting to really understand this stuff scientifically which is awesome for me to see um, you know, I remember going through the minor leagues and, you know, you'd make yourself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich because that'd be the only thing in the clubhouse and maybe a bag of, of chips would be hanging on the wall. And you, there weren't a whole lot of options. So mm -hmm. you, you take what you were given. But now in the minor leagues, um, there's a great selection of food. And, and so I think uh, it, it's taken a long time, but professional sports have really opened their eyes to, hey, listen, we're paying these athletes a lot of money. Why not take that extra step and, and give them you know healthy food so that they can increase their performance? It's a kind of a, a no-brainer when you think about it. Uh, it did take a while to get there, but we're seeing it now, and, yeah. and it's uh, as I said, it's it's awesome for me to see the evolution of that. Um, I was drafted into professional baseball in 1998 uh, by the Houston Astros, and you know from that time uh, over these now almost 21 years, actually 21 years in June, mm -hmm. um, it's been amazing to to see that evolution, but. Um, it's something that's, uh, th that I'm really happy to see. It's really amazing. You know, the ability for us to choose more anti-inflammatory foods, it's something that won't only benefit those of us in professional athletics, but all of us benefit from yeah. these kinds of foods, whether it's reducing the inflammation we would associate with aches and pains as we're getting older. Uh, I know there's more and more research coming out showing that inflammation uh, is affecting cognitive performance. It's affecting our immune systems. It's potentially even affecting uh, behavioral uh, issues and certain, certain foods, certain herbs, certain roots like turmeric and ginger, That's cinnamon right. are incredibly effective at reducing that inflammation. And, and it just makes sense that where performance is at such a premium in, in professional athletics, you'd be seeing that right. trend and, and it's something we can all uh, really benefit from. Yeah, I mean, it really is, you know, if you can just find a slight edge to, you know, I, I'm thinking from the, uh, from the, from the lens of, a, of an owner of a team. I mean, if yeah. you can find a way to get your athletes a slight edge in terms of performance, uh, you know, by giving them a healthier, more nutritious meal, reducing their inflammation, making them feel better. I mean, what, you know, what a, what a great way to be able to go about your business. So fortunately ownership all over sports, you know, they're the ones that are providing uh, the finances for this. So, yeah. you know, they get behind it. And, and I think every one of them to a man understands now how impactful that performance is, but you're right. I mean, it's, I'm glad, you know, this kind of happened toward the end of my career. Um, but I'm, I'm very glad that I've been, you know, since then eating, much more beneficial foods. You know, I, I know I feel a heck of a lot better than I did even playing because the transition hadn't quite happened yet. Mm. Um, you know, we're abusing our bodies pretty good when we're doing professional sports, but um, now I understand the model of, of, of eating healthier and, and more sustainable now. So, mm. um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really appreciative that, uh, that I can do that. That's so cool. And I'm just, I'm thinking, you know, when it comes to executives, when it comes to entrepreneurs, when it comes to folks who are leaders inside organizations that might not be athletics organizations, one of the great opportunities is to get these healthier food and beverage options right there into the office or the, or the facility. 
and it's just another way to create greater advantage for the team to reduce sickness to and to enhance quality of life which we know is yeah. one of the ways that that companies are attracting and, and retaining talent in their respective uh, industries and disciplines so it's one of these strategies that seems we can be using really across the board yeah no, no question about it i think um you know and, and it's funny because you know and, and we've passed this information on to our kids now and, and they really you know, I, I'm seeing a lot of times and some of the young kids I'm coaching, like they're understanding, like they have options on the bench. You know, they've got uh, some sugary and salty snacks that let's just yeah. say aren't, aren't the best option. <laughs> um, and then they've got some other stuff that fortunately some of the parents will bring, right? And and the kids, like they, they understand it. And, and it's, it's awesome to see. I mean, it makes me very optimistic for the future, you know, thinking about sustainability and the foods that we eat and the choices that our kids are making. They're starting to get it. And, you know, there's some really tempting stuff out there for these kids. You know, food that I remember being delicious when I grew up, but now I know is essentially poisonous for our bodies. Yeah. Um, and they'll still dabble in there, of course. But, you know, now they're actually taking the initiative to, to have that healthy food as well. So uh, it's great to see. And I think that the message is getting there. We just need to keep delivering it as much as we can because, you know, things are slowly but surely going in the right direction. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I want to ask a little more about the future by referring to the past, but uh, before going there, I also just want to share with our audience that this is the Why on Earth Communities Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series, and today I'm visiting with my good friend Brad Lidge, and uh, we are talking, among other things, about our upcoming summit uh, called Massively Mobilizing Sustainability, Deep Leadership for the 21st Century. And this is being held outside of Boulder, Colorado, May 17 to 19 at a beautiful retreat center in the mountains. Uh, you can get your tickets with a 50% discount, that's half price, using the code COMMUNITY at whyonearth.org. And uh, I want to thank our sponsors that are making all of this possible. Uh, this includes the International Society of Sustainability Professionals, the Association of Waldorf Schools of North America, Wele Waters, Patagonia, Equal Exchange, Earth Coast Productions, Lupton Lodge Number 119, a fraternal organization, and the Lidge Family Foundation. Uh, we also want to make sure everybody knows that because we're living in such an important time to mobilize everything we can, the Why on Earth community is making all of our ebook and audiobook products available for free. Just use the code EarthDay. Every day is Earth Day. It works every day to get your ebook and audiobook resources again at whyonearth.org. Um, and so, with this in mind, Brad, I, I, I know that as we're doing all this work for the future, one of the most important things is understanding the past. And you have uh, a depth, shall we say, <laughs> of expertise in that arena, and you like to go uh, digging in dirt at, uh, at very important archaeological sites. Uh, and I want to kick this off by asking, I know you've done a handful of, of digs now, where, where have you done these and wh what have you been looking for? Um, so yeah, th this has been, uh, something that since I retired, like I couldn't wait. So growing up, I loved world history. I'll back up yep. one, one step here. In high school, I had a great world history teacher. Eric Koble was his name. Um, and he totally 
just made it come alive. And so since then, I, I remember loving world history. Mm. And when I got to college, I always thought, oh, I'm going to do something in this. But, you know, baseball kind of took over. And, and even during baseball, I remember thinking, oh, as soon as I retire, I want to do something in this. But I, I actually couldn't wait that long. And I think for me, uh, in 2008, uh, you know, it was, a, it was that great season that we, we were fortunate enough to, uh, to win a World Series out in Philadelphia. But also something happened that year where I really wanted to start jumping back into school. I mean, you mm. get all this free time. We call it downtime on the road, right? Like where you're wet, you know, you have a game that gets over real late. You go to bed real late. You wake up, I don't know, 10, 10 30, somewhere in there. Um, and you don't have to be at the field until like 2 30. So you got these like four hours to kill. And, you mm. know, a lot of times people are just looping Sports Center over and over and over again, baseball wow. tonight, whatever it is. Yeah. And I found after about five or six or seven years of doing this, I was like, enough. I, I want to do something toward potentially what I could do when I when I stopped playing. So I started going back to school to finish up my bachelor's degree, which I was about 90% done with at Notre Dame. Hmm. But um, unfortunately, I, I, I needed to go back to South Bend to complete uh, the Notre Dame degree. So huh. that's when I went to University of Regis in Denver, uh, jumped into religious studies, and I wanted to do religious archaeology or something that would be in that path. Hmm. Because... As, as I said, I loved world history. I loved reading about it, but it wasn't enough. I wanted to be kind of proactive in it somehow. So archaeology was kind of the perfect path. So when I retired, I finished up the bachelor's degree, and then I jumped right into this master's degree in ancient Roman archaeology. And, uh, you know, part of the degree, uh, since I jumped in, was go on these excavations. And so now for, for six, uh, this will be the sixth summer, uh, we've been able to go over to Europe for uh, a month or so, and I've been able to take part in these excavations, some more than others, some way more detailed than others. Uh, I've been able to be on part of the staff for a little bit uh, in, in, uh, in the ancient Roman city of Carcelli. Spent a lot of time out there. I did my dissertation on uh, the nails uh, of the bath complex there. So it gets real specific, of course, when you get into a master's degree, but it's been an amazing experience for myself and for my family to live mm. out there, to kind of get immersed in, uh, you know, another culture. Uh, we've been to England for a summer as well, but I will tell you, Central Italy has something going on that's pretty <laughs> remarkable. Uh, as hot as it is, and we were in this little town called San Gemini, as hot as it is, um, and the fact that there is no air conditioning in any of the units in a small little town like that, it, it doesn't seem to plague you. Even my kids were okay with it because there's something else going on on there that is just i mean that's you know where the slow food movement started yeah. and people take their time there and they enjoy everything and you get kind of immersed in that culture and it's just an incredible experience so we've loved doing it um fortunately they've been extremely friendly to to our kids and, and everything's been great um you know in terms of that but for me it's been one of the most rewarding things i've done is jump into something that i was passionate about again you know, you, you have to get out of your comfort zone a little bit and you got to take some uh, some strides toward things that, that you want to do or that you believe are important. But um, I've been excavating at these ancient Roman sites and finding some remarkable stuff. Um, pottery, coins, glass, jewelry, you know, you never know. Like for me, part of the excitement is that you dig your trowel in and, you know, you're in central Italy, you have no idea what you're going to find. It could be medieval, it could be, uh, you know, ancient Roman, it could be ancient Etruscan. You don't know how far down you're going to go. And uh, it's just a really exciting thing to be a part of. Oh, that's so exciting! Yeah. Well, and you're also, meanwhile, getting your hands in the in the dirt, literally, right? That's so right. Getting some of those benefits we often talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, it's it's for me, it's 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 priceless to be able to kind of you know continue to go down and work through that dirt and that soil, and 
you know, again, an artifact might come out of it. It might not, mm. but you're you're just kind of in these these giant you know trenches, and and you're and you're working with dirt all day. And some people, you know, by the end of the day, they can't wait to shower off, of course. But mm. you know, you get these buckets of dirt, and you're sifting through stuff, and it's just uh, it's an amazing experience being out there. Like I said, I never thought I would be feeling super comfortable just sitting out in you know, 100 degree heat in the middle of summer between like. 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. But there's something about it where you're just so entranced with what you're doing, and you're kind of in tune with the, uh, you know, with the Italian summer, and you just you can't beat it. I mean, it's an incredible experience. That's absolutely wonderful. Well, I'm wondering with your exploration of the history and the archaeology, do you find that there are certain lessons we might glean from older cultures from past times that would be pertinent, relevant to our times now re regarding especially things like sustainability? I mean, there's no question. You know, something that just immediately popped into my mind when, when you were asking me that is uh, there was an excavation we were doing in another central Italian uh, town called Orvieto, a beautiful spot. Um, when we're doing our excavations, uh, the, the olive trees are essentially sacred in Italy. Mm. And this goes back, you know, to ancient Roman times, before ancient Roman times. Um, they treated their, I mean, their olive trees with such reverence that these things were literally sacred to them. Mm. Even now, Italians have to literally locate and GPS olive trees. You're not allowed to dig an olive tree out. If you do, you have to let the government know. Mm. Olive trees are that important, um, you know, in, Centra, in, in Italy. Um, and one of the olive trees that we were digging around, we were, we were trying to get the root ball out so we could transplant it and then we were going to have to replant it. Like this is a you know big deal. You don't mess with these olive trees, right? Yeah, yeah. And we found this shard of medieval pottery that was 700 years old hmm. in the root ball. So it, it just goes to show how far back these things go and how important they are for the cultures there for, for you know centuries, even millennia. And I just think that when you kind of look back at, at you know, how they treated... Um, you know, things like olive trees, yes, but there's a lot of other, uh, you know, natural things that they understood and appreciated as being so important to their lives, so sacred to their lives, that they would never harm them or foul them up. I mean, yeah. I think if they looked at what we were doing today, they'd be scratching their head. They'd <laughs> probably not understand the technology, obviously, but they'd also say, like, you know, why are you scarring the earth the way you are? Mm -hmm. Don't you understand that you're going to need this stuff, you know, many years from now? So, I don't know. There's, you know, there's practices that the ancient Romans used to have that are probably uh, we'd scratch our head a little bit as well. Um, but that being said, I think they had a, a certain kind of um, balance and you know ability to be in touch with with the seasons and, and nature that is uh, uh, completely missing from from life today. So um, you know, there's there's tons of stuff that you could kind of go back and look at. I think um, you know, in terms of those ancient societies and those ancient cultures. Uh, that make a lot of sense, but I think you know more than anything else, it's it's how they respected uh, the land around them and how much they understood the importance of of the land around them and, and how much life it gave them. I mean, if they didn't treat it well, they weren't going to be able to eat, they weren't going to be able to drink, uh, they wouldn't survive. Yeah. So big deal. You know, let that sink in. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's obviously you know two two millennia, like I said, away from uh, from ancient Roman times, but. Um, you know, in, in a lot of ways, we've made some incredible uh, technological advances. Uh, in other ways, we've really kind of wrecked things for ourselves. So maybe we can unwind a little bit of that. We'll see. Gosh, I sure hope so. Well, and, and yeah. you know, I, I believe we can and that we can enhance our own qualities of life while doing so. Um, so it's, it's important work. And, you know, I'm curious with your 
with your religious studies background, obviously you've also taken a deep dive into some of our religious and spiritual heritage, especially in the European West. And I'm struck by one of your earlier comments about getting outside of our comfort zone. And I know, you know, having interviewed a variety of guests from different backgrounds, different faiths, different countries, even, you know, there's such a diversity in our, in our global culture. And, and I'm just wondering if in your exploration of the religious history, you find any insights or teachings that would help us as we're dealing with some of these uncomfortable aspects of modern life right now as we're dealing with sustainability issues and so forth. Is, is there anything that jumps out at you there? Um, you know, if I sat down and thought about it, I think there'd be a lot of things that jump out. Um, I, I can tell you right now um, that, that one of the things that maybe is a little bit different today is it's kind of a superficial layer for a lot of our lives. Hmm. And back then it was so, you know, the rituals and, and everything else that was associated with their beliefs was such an everyday part of their life. Um, it was something that they were entrenched in. I mean, their belief system, um, you know, they didn't have the, the, the science behind them that we do. And maybe that's for better or for worse. I'm not exactly sure, but I think their beliefs and, and their understanding of how important certain things were uh, led them to make a lot of the decisions they made. Now, again, you know, some better, some worse. Mm -hmm. uh, but I just think that it, it's a far cry from, from how we live in, in today's society. We, it's kind of there, it's in the periphery. Um, and, and sometimes people use it for, uh, for maybe incorrect purposes or maybe they're not interpreting things right. Um, that's always an issue. But I just think that we've, uh, you know, there, there could be a lot to be learned from, from how immersed ancient cultures were in their beliefs. Uh, you know, if we're, again, we can't probably take everything they did and say that applies now, nor can we take everything they did and say that's a good idea now. Mm -hmm. But we can take a lot of the things that they did as, as kind of lessons in how to really be um, passionate about your beliefs and to kind of, um, you know, live your life based on that because that's what they did. I mean, that's all they knew. And, and so that's how they went about their daily lives. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting. Yeah, I think one of the things that's really hard for us to even imagine and understand right now is what life was like before television, before radio, oh, right. before let alone internet and, and social media. It was such a different experience in so many ways. Yeah, it really was. Um, you know, and I think that going backwards with some of those practices, again, you know, we have this, uh, this land around and, and I feel very fortunate to have any kind of land around me, but, um, you know, taking the time to, to go outside and, and um, kind of unwind a little bit from all the social media, the technology around us. It, it, it's so easy, you know, and it's tough too with kids. Like you got to really, you got to really kind of push them out the door mm -hmm. a little bit, but it's amazing once they get outside and they start working with the soil and they start, you know, helping out gardening or, or pruning a fruit tree or whatever. It, it's amazing that all of a sudden they're locked in. Like they don't even think about the, the, the technology that they're missing or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that, yeah, maybe you have to work a little bit toward it at first, but it kind of starts to get easier and easier and they start to appreciate it more and more as they get older. So, I mean, you're right. It, it, it's a very, it, it's a very difficult thing to do on some levels to be able to unplug. And and we live a very different way of life now than we used to. But I think when we kind of get back into that for just a little bit, we really start to appreciate where our food's coming from, the effort mm -hmm. that goes into it, the time. 
uh, and, and the care that you need to give things in order for them to be able to produce just a small amount. So it, it makes you, it, at least for me, it makes me really start to appreciate um, the importance of, of, of understanding our food systems, of understanding you know, how much effort and time uh, goes into uh, and care goes into what we're eating if we're doing it the right way. Yeah. Oh, it's so true. I mean, one of the things that seems to be a really important truth right now is that our forebears, our ancestors, regardless of what part of the world we come from, almost certainly by definition would have lived in closer relationship with the natural living world. Oh yeah. And it was a it was sort of a default. It was it was a context that could was just just was. Right? That's right. And now to have that kind of connection and relationship, it seems, takes increasingly a, a willfulness, an intention, a whether it's parents with their kids creating an intention that they go outside and unplug from the devices or as grown-ups, especially, you know, with our busy work and responsibilities to to say, you know, for the next two days I'm gonna unplug and go backpacking or hiking in the woods or whatever it is. I think that's one of the most important differences about being human right now versus in the past for most of our ancestors. I mean, there's no question about it. It is, you know, we, if we so choose, uh, can really not even go outside, you know, mm. the entire day or for weeks at a time. You know, you can have your groceries dropped off right to your door now. Uh, there are services that do that. Um, so we are, we can be completely disconnected if we so choose. And, and sometimes it's more convenient or easy, we think, mm. uh, but we forget what we're missing by, by being connected. Mm. And I think, you know, again, it's, um, we talk about, you know, you got to get out of your comfort zone sometimes. Sometimes the easier thing to do and, uh, you know, is, is to let your kid just sit there and, and, and watch TV and, and play video games for a while. But the rewards for getting them outside and for having them find that connection uh, are will last them an entire lifetime. So, um, you know, it, it's 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 not always the easiest thing to do. It's certainly a lot of times you got to get out of your comfort zone and, and you have to make an effort because everything is so you know just right at your you know right at your feet. However you want it these days. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it's so simple to to be disconnected. Um, but I feel like the rewards you get from that from going out and being connected, you just you can't measure any other way than just going out there and doing it and feeling it for yourself. Uh, it, it, it's a reward system that is not tangible, but it is, you know, very much real. Yeah, truly, truly. So I'm, I'm wondering, Brad, with uh, all that we've been discussing today, if, if you could give one piece of advice to our audience, you know, folks all over, some in cities, some in rural settings, some in suburban settings, some older, some younger, you know, very diverse group. What would that piece of advice be? Um, well, I think there'd be maybe two pieces. Um, uh, first of all, I will say that, that don't forget to let yourself have an appreciation uh, for what you're going through in daily life, for mm. the food you're eating in daily life, for how it got to your table. Don't forget just to have an intention for a minute to sit down and think about how it got there, all the different steps, and you know, if, if you're eating fast food, it might not, um, you know, the, it might not take you a long time to think about the food chain, unfortunately. But but when you are eating something that's not fast food, we'll say, um, you know, don't forget about the amount of work and effort and time and care that went into having that meal, and you will appreciate it so much more. I mean, you'll have mm -hmm. so much more respect for the whole process of it, and you yourself will think about. I, I think you'll start to think about sustainable practices 
and and you know making hopefully make an effort to really be conscious of that. If nothing else, be conscious of it. Um, and then the second thing I would say, I will get back to what we were kind of discussing: getting out of your comfort zone. Mm. Uh, you know, listen, I could I do a baseball radio show. I've been working with. Um, so the, the team I retired with, the Philadelphia Phillies, here and there, um, special advisory work, uh, special assistant work, and uh, I know that. So it's easy for me to jump back into it. It's easy for me to stay in that world. Um, but I know that I'd be cheating myself if I did it because it's it's not something that um, it's something I'm very passionate about. But it's it's there's something else that's going on around us, and I have to get out of my comfort zone to acknowledge it and to be a part of it. But I know that that sustainability on our Earth, um, you know, what we're doing with Why on Earth, it's not something again that I necessarily knew a ton about when I retired. But for me, getting out of your comfort zone and, and finding those things that that you are passionate about, those things you believe in, uh, those first steps are never easy. Mm. But the rewards and the fulfillment for doing it, you can't replicate in any other way. So I, I guess for me. Get out of your comfort zone and, and make a bigger effort. A lot of people are making great efforts. Yeah. Make an even bigger effort mm -hmm. and find the rewards you're going to get from that because they will be um, they'll be lasting your entire lifetime. Absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful, Brad. Well, I want to just say on behalf of the audience, uh, thanks so much for taking the time to visit with us today. And uh, yeah. I want to say to our audience, we're really looking forward to you joining us at the summit May 17 to 19. We'll be continuing this discussion with a lot of other friends and colleagues. And uh, Brad, want to thank you for our friendship and for all your support of the Why on Earth community. And uh, it's it's a great pleasure to be able to collaborate with you in this way. Aaron, it's been awesome for me, and I appreciate my experiences with you as well. So uh, we've been friends for a long time. Yes, we and, have. And uh, this is uh, this is great, man. I appreciate being here every step of the way. Awesome. Thanks, Brad. You bet. You bet. Thank you. The Why on Earth Community Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series is hosted by Aaron William Perry, author, thought leader, and executive consultant. The podcast and video recordings are made possible by the generous support of people like you. To sign up as a daily, weekly, or monthly supporter, please visit whyonearth.org support. Support packages start at just $1 per month. The podcast series is also sponsored by several corporate and organization sponsors. You can get discounts on their products and services using the code WhyOnEarth, all one word with a Y. These sponsors are listed on the whyonearth.org backslash support page. If you found this particular podcast episode especially insightful, informative, or inspiring, please pass it on and share it with a friend whom you think will also enjoy it. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And thank you for being a part of the Why on Earth community.